Stay tuned after the feature for great previews. And now, our feature presentation. Recorded live from the Emerald City of Seattle, it's the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Your home for pop culture, Transformers, independent artists, interviews, Transformers, and stuff, and things. Also sometimes Transformers. And now, here he is with his extraordinary playlist, Mike Seibert. Hey, welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host, and by popular demand this week, it's my review of Black Widow. Plus, I've got a preview of some exciting stuff coming up as we get ready to celebrate the 35th anniversary of the Transformers the movie. It's going to be a jam-packed show, and we got a lot to get to. But first, let's kick things off with some shout-outs. Well, first and foremost, I I guess, you know, I I was going to start talking about a cool podcast that I've been on and some other cool stuff that I've I've got going on. This this is actually the first solo show that I've done in gosh, probably a few months um, uh, without going back and looking at the episode listing. Uh, it just feels like it's been guest a palooza uh, here at Mike Cyber Radio for a while and it's been a while I think since I'm doing more interviews, I don't necessarily um, always take the time to talk about cool stuff that's going on with uh, with me and the podcast, but I can't believe it's been this long and I have not taken the time to talk about the awesome brand new uh, cover images and banners and logos for the podcast that I recently had uh, commissioned. I've shared them out on social medias, but I haven't talked about it here on the show proper. I uh, uh, commissioned all of uh, that artwork uh, from uh, Andy, a good buddy of mine that I got acquainted with during Icon Online. In fact, he designed the Icon Online logo, and I really liked the the look of that and the vibe of it. And he's a really cool dude. And um, if you've been a fan of mine for uh, any length of time, you notice that my imaging game is incredibly weak. I don't really have you know, like official logos or even really a a good cover image. I mean, my God, my thumbnail on all your podcasters is just a a selfie that I took one time in the studio, which ironically enough was the, was the inspiration and template that I uh, had Andy use for, uh, the, um, for the new logo that he made for me, but, but the work is just incredible. And, uh, Andy was really cool to work with. And, uh, I, I really appreciated the consideration he took to just kind of, kind of figuratively take me by the hand and kind of help me figure out exactly what I wanted because, well, I didn't know what I wanted. You know, I kind of had some loose ideas of what I thought I kind of wanted a logo and a a cover image uh, to look like. And um, finally, I I landed on uh, coming up on the anniversary of Transformers the movie. And really, what do I talk about on this podcast more than anything? I'm pretty sure it's Transformers the movie, that it's one of those things. 
things that kind of defines the content that I do because, you know, folks had asked me about, you know, what's my branding and, and things that I can't really answer because half the time I can't really quantify what this podcast is actually about other than stuff and things that are on my mind every week. But no, I got this flash of inspiration. I was like, what if we take the Transformers the movie logo from the poster you know with that that kind of uh in in the synth wave colors with the the magenta and the orange and the yellows there and and see if we can make a logo out of that and and again Andy just uh just kicked it out of the park uh so if you haven't yet go follow Andy on Twitter he is at gogo andy robo um I'm not sure where he's at for art commissions he kind of did this as a a, a favor homie hookup for uh for me he's incredibly busy with his um uh design job his day job um so i i know he took the time to do this special for me which i really really appreciate but uh but his his art is really cool um he does a lot of mecha but he also does a whole lot of um other really cool anime style characters uh that that's just just really neat and ironically enough he doesn't really do a whole lot of transformers art but if you're into shape changing robots he does do a lot of gobots art so which uh and he's done some uh, really stunning pieces but uh, but again if you haven't checked out andy's stuff uh please do so and uh as a as a quick psa because i've been tweeting about this recently uh pay artists for their art <laughs> um uh i i've been seeing some uh social media traffic about you know uh, uh paying folks an exposure and last i checked folks die of exposure so uh nothing's free unless you're listening to a podcast um but <laughs> I, I digress uh anyway yeah um uh, pay artists for their arts uh you'll uh you'll feel better about life um, speaking of Icon Online, I did also want to give you a heads up because I have not talked about this on the podcast. Um, all of the Icon Online streaming panels are now available on the Icon Online uh, YouTube channel. So you can go to YouTube uh, right now. I've got a link in the show notes. And there are, I didn't think to count them before I started recording, but there are bunches of um, awesome fan made content and, uh, fan run panels. Um, so I've got the page up, so I'm just going to read them off cause they're, they're all really cool. There's a, um, but there's a, there's a fanfic panel, uh, what it is and how it got started. Uh, David Sovolov, um, he's the voice of Blitzwing in the Bumblebee movie and, uh, Shockwave in Transformers Prime. Um, Apollo did a really fun interview with him. That was, uh, that was one of the highlights of the con actually. Um, so that's available. Uh, there's a drawing Transformers tips and tricks. Uh, uh, Suna did that panel. That was really super cool. Uh, there there is a crafting customs uh, panel uh, spotlight on Alita one with Lindsay Rousseau that was hosted by Lita. And I, I will continue to beat this drum to anybody that will listen. I remember when Lita brought that up in an icon online planning meeting, just surely in jest. And she's like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I could just, you know, talk about Alita one for, uh, for an hour. And I stopped, I stopped the meeting. I'm like, you should do that. 
I would watch that. Uh, a lot of people would watch that. So I was uh, I was super proud of her, and I'm glad that she was able to uh, connect with uh, Lindsay Rousseau, who is the voice actress for um, Alita One in the Netflix War for Cybertron series, and they're like super homies now, and it's uh, it's super inspiring and super cool. Um, that's a that's a fun panel to check out. One of my favorites to watch live was the Build-A-Bot panel where. Where basically um, artists draw a and create an original character based on audience feedback. It's a uh, um, tons of fun. The cosplay contest was awesome and incredible, and um, that's uh, that's definitely worth uh, checking out. There's the uh, Transformers War for Cybertron voice actors panel uh, hosted by Patricia, who's part of uh, More Than Meets the Ear. And actually, yeah, that, that's the other thing, too. It's interesting how um, and this I have talked about on the podcast before, how these lasting connections and friendships um, have kind of sprung from this, uh, this online um, uh, event, but, um, but yeah, so, so Patricia did a, an incredible job uh, hosting a, a panel with uh, Frank Todaro and uh, FJ DeSanto and, uh, oh, uh, Jason Marnocha. Um, I was like, I know there's somebody else in there, uh, but, uh, but, but that, that, was a, that was a ton of fun. And I hear a rumor, don't tell nobody, that Patricia is looking to do uh, something similar on uh to commemorate the release of kingdom uh the conclusion of the war for cybertron series but you didn't hear that from me so but just uh just kind of keep an eye on the more than meets the ear um uh socials for more on that as uh, as things uh develop uh there is the history of tiny transformers hosted by soundjack from steel city bots uh you also have uh transformers reanimated that panel uh by my dudes uh yoshi and greg uh that's uh that's a ton of fun uh, one of the highlights for me was the Transformers, the movie 35th anniversary panel featuring Flint Dilly, Vince DiCola, uh, John Mashita Jr. and Greg Berger. Uh, that was a ton of fun. And that was hosted by Joe Troutman, who is uh, the guy that started the Transformers uh, where uh, fans and talent get together or connect it's anyway it's a it's transformers till all are one that's uh that's the name of the the facebook group there's a uh, prime animations panel and (laughs) the uh uh, the game show uh wheel of icon and cybertronic name game with the cybertronic spree uh hosted by general techno that was uh that was tons of fun and has uh, uh, sprouted uh, a couple memes that that still kind of endure now, even uh, even six months removed from uh, from the con. Like you know, when you when you say you're having a mental scorpionock uh, in certain circles, they know what you're talking about. Um, Anatomy of a fan fiction that hosted by the More Than Meets the Pod folks. Uh, that's uh, I, I was really excited to check that one out on a replay because I actually missed it when it was live. So I got to watch it 
same as you on the on the replay on uh YouTube and I I think I saw Harper tweeting that they might be working on a new podcast. I don't know if it's a new episode of More Than Meets the Pod. I didn't want to ask, but uh if it is, that's something that uh that fans would be incredibly excited about because that is a show that I miss desperately. Um, let's see. Uh, there's a panel called my Canon now, uh, how I made a alternate universe. Uh, there is exploring writing race and more with writer Brandon Easton from IDW comics. Uh, the Beast Unleashed is a Beast Wars uh, podcast hosted by uh, Stephen Phillips. Uh, IDW artist Anna Malkova got a spotlight panel. Again, that was hosted by Apollo, who again did an incredible job. She hosted uh, two different panels, the David Soboloff panel and uh, with Anna Malkova. And I am just uh, so proud how... Um, you know, uh, Apollo and Lita and uh, Patricia and all, all these other folks have have really kind of, you know, because um, none of these folks had had really kind of done their own content, like in terms of like interviewing folks and certainly not, you know, quote unquote celebrities before. So it was uh, it was it was really exciting and really satisfying to see these panels be so successful and to resonate so hard uh, with uh, uh, with the audience there. Uh, there was also a talk with Toy Robot Magazine and uh, fans of the old Wizard Toy Fair magazine uh, should check out Toy Robot. It's a uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, there was a IDW behind the panels uh, panel uh, hosted by Chally, and she talked to editor David Marriott. And uh, oh, and uh, Chally hosted a, another panel as well. Um, our comic careers, how how we got started. Uh, that was uh, Chally interviewing IDW artists uh, Livio Ramadelli, uh, Andrew Griff. And uh, Shane McCarthy, who is the writer of uh, Transformers All Hail Megatron from the uh, from the IDW series. And I don't remember if he's done any other IDW Transformers stuff since. Um, I might have to look into that. Um uh, another panel that, that that was tons of fun. This one was also hosted by Lita. It's uh, not just for boys celebrating women in Transformers. It was Lita interviewing again Lindsay Rousseau, but she was also joined by IDW two artist Anna Malkova, as well as May Cat, who is one of the main writers on Transformers Cyberverse, and is uh, always a delight to watch. She uh, she's got a uh, a really cool humor that that I uh, just really dig. I, I've seen her at a panel at TFCon, and it was uh, it, it, it was a lot of fun. So that uh, that panel was great. Uh, the Icon Online Tournament of Voices. This was another one that I missed when it was live, but um, apparently Josh, who is the host of the brand new More Than Meets the Ear podcast, where they're talking about uh, Transformers Cybertron. Uh, apparently, he was part of this panel. As well so there's another uh, connection as well uh, there's a interview with Stan Bush talking about his uh, new album Dare to Dream which incidentally if you not checked it out it's it's a whole lot of fun he's done a couple cool music videos for it and I hear a rumor again shh, don't tell anybody um, I hear rumors that 
to coincide with the anniversary of Transformers the movie, uh, Stan Bush will be doing something cool with some cool people. And that is all I can say. Mostly because that's all I know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, some uh, some podcaster from Seattle got to interview Stan Bush and that uh, um, I, I kind of made a, a uh, Icon Online exclusive edit, uh, you know, kind of made it a little shorter and a little more concise for the for the convention going audience. But you can uh, you could check out the full episode on the Mike Seibert Radio podcast uh, feeds back there. Uh, there was also an intro to cosplay panel, which was incredible. I learned more about stuff that I will never do. <laughs> Uh, but the, I mean, the, the information was just, uh, um, phenomenal and very well detailed and super cool. Definitely worth checking out. And finally the, uh, what I consider, and I, I think several others as well considered to be kind of like the centerpiece, the kind of crown jewel grand finale of Icon online is the universal greeting celebrating diversity in transformers. And so this, this was a panel that was hosted by, uh, Suna, our, uh, tech guru. Um, she's, uh, she's also Susan on the more than meets the ear podcast. Um, uh, so she hosted that along with Wazabi, and they talked to May Cat and James Roberts, um, uh, Jack Lawrence, and um, the guy that I really thought was kind of the. I don't want to sound cliched, but kind of like the, the breakout of uh, this panel um, is IDW artist Thomas Deere. He's a, he's a really cool dude, and I thought he had some really incredibly moving stuff to say. And so I, I've I've watched I, I watched it live, um, but I, I've since watched it since, and I think the most moving part of watching that panel is when Thomas spoke and told his story. I was since it since it was a zoom, I was watching the other folks kind of in stunned silence. There there's um I don't know how to describe it, but I I I appreciated watching somebody like James Roberts just be like in rapt attention listening to uh, uh, Thomas tell his story. So anyway, that's a uh, um, that's really cool. Uh, go out, check that out. And again, this is uh, hours of Icon online content. I, I know it took us uh, quite a while to get the videos up, but now that I've done this 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 roll call everybody loves a roll call of uh of all these panels now i i kind of understand and appreciate a little better why it took uh so long for all of these videos to upload um so anyway so that's uh so that's icon online those are all available for you uh to check out and um you know, stay tuned. There, there might be uh, future announcements for future plans. I, I'm not at liberty to say, but um, you might not have seen the last of the Icon Online group, and, uh, and I'll just leave it there for now. But I also wanted to talk about. I, uh, I I had the opportunity to be a part of a couple cool podcasts recently. Uh, first, I joined 
uh, Greg and the Unfunny Nerd Tangent crew for uh, an episode podcast uh, discussing Big Trouble in Little China. It's uh, episode number 121 of Unfunny Nerd Tangent, and that is a podcast that's three years in the making. I think we first broke it or first uh, brought it up, discussed it during our review of the Bumblebee movie, the live action Bumblebee movie. So this had been what uh, Christmas of 2018, give or take. And um, I was talking with Caleb from Autopod Decepticast and he had mentioned that there were, you know, we we were just kind of like workshopping on the air, just kind of spitballing future podcast ideas and he just casually mentioned he's like well you know two of my favorite movies are the road warrior and big trouble in little china and to which i then confessed to the audience that somehow some way in uh 30 something years i had managed to not watch big trouble in little china and that kind of that kind of uh, aroused a conversation about blind spots and um it, it took us a few years and we ended up uh partnering with greg we did an episode about the road warrior which being uh being australian it was it was an equal blind spot that he hadn't seen any of the mad max movies so he watched road warrior we talked about it on my podcast and kind of in crossover fashion we did big trouble in little china as a episode of unfunny nerd tangent so um me caleb and and greg are kicking around the idea of doing more episodes like that where we're kind of exploring uh some of our blind spots and maybe we'll get around to dusting off uh the idea of exploring um movie tropes as well like kind of like what we did with our road warrior episode where it was a little bit of both we kind of talked about the anti-hero trope but we also talked about the road warrior as well so that's uh anyway that uh we did that episode back at like the uh end of june i think so almost a month ago but regardless that was uh that was a really fun one and uh definitely worth checking out now in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about Black Widow, but I do also in in uh, cross promotion, uh, the interest of cross promotion. Uh, uh, Unfunny Nerd Tangent did do an episode on Black Widow as well. That's episode 122, and then their new episode 123 that just dropped. Uh, they're uh, talking about Loki, and Greg invited me to be a part of that one, and then I had to confess that I am only up to episode three, and. And um, I, I'm digging it. I, I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, I, I've seen a couple spoilers, but I think it's so far out of context that I don't quite entirely understand uh, what the spoilers mean. So when I get there, I'm sure it'll all uh, make sense. But I'm digging it. It's it's kind of um, yeah, it has a has a weird uh, time travel meets the office type of uh, type of vibe to it. Um, I, I kind of like the the old timey design aesthetic. 
Uh, but anyway, um, uh, another cool podcast that I had the opportunity to be a part of, and that episode is available now. I uh, had a chance to talk to George Soroy. He is the host of the Excelsior Journeys podcast. He's a um, he's a, a voice actor, a, a narrator, audiobook reader, uh, writer. And he uh, he and I got connected through the Joe Troutman of uh, Transformers Facebook group, um, you know, uh, tell all or one where the where the fans and talent come together. That's what it is. I, I don't know why I can never remember that, but I, I guess just because it's a mouthful. But no, he uh, he reached out to me on that uh, Facebook group and just noticed I, I was a huge fan of Transformers the movie. And he tells me and he's like, well. I'm I'm about to do like a, a four part month long series during the month of August commemorating Transformers the movie. Uh, would you Would you like to be my guest and chat about it? And and so yeah, I, I'm not going to turn down a uh, opportunity to talk about the Transformers the movie. So uh, we got together and it's actually kind of like a a, a crossover of sorts. Basically, what we did, and you know, give you give you a um, yank behind the curtain here, is we kind of um, framed it within the context of an episode of my show. So my interview with George Soroy is actually going to drop next week. But the reason why I'm doing this fill-in episode is to give space to his episode where he um he talks about transformers the movie he kind of gives you more information about what he's got coming up in the month of august to sell to commemorate the 35th anniversary but he also incorporates some of the audio from our interview that we did together so it's uh because the conversations we had are are pretty universal it it's you know kind of uh incidental that it happens to be an interview that I'm doing with him. I'm way over explaining this, but uh, but I, I've listened to a few episodes of his podcast. He's interviewed uh, Vince DiCola, uh, which was uh, uh, really cool. He talked to voice actor Michael Bell. He's talked to Flint Dilly, um, but also he's talked to several other uh, up and coming writers and authors, and it. It feels to me what George Soroy is doing is similar to what I'm doing. I, I kind of lean towards more the uh, perhaps independent music side or the uh, independent art side, whereas he skews more to the literary side. But if you like what I do, uh, you would definitely enjoy uh, the Excelsior Journeys podcast uh, hosted by George Soroy and check out his uh, uh, current episode. It looks like it's episode 98. Um, so close to that milestone 100. But it's uh, uh, podcaster Mike Seibert. That's me. Uh, takes us beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination, exclamation point. And it's he and I talking for about an hour about um, about Transformers, the movie. And then. And next week, 
next week's episode of Mike Seibert Radio. Uh, we kind of turn the tables a little bit, and it will be my interview with uh, with George Soroy. Uh, a lot of the same material, but I, you know, I'll ask him uh, tons of questions about the interviews he's done and his creative process, and it's uh, it, it's a ton of fun. I, I I really enjoyed talking with him, and I think uh, if you're a fan of the type of stuff that we do. I, th- I think you're going to dig it as well. All right. So that's it for shout outs. And with that, let's head out to the movies. What the hell is that guy? Taskmaster. He can mimic anyone he's ever seen. He controls the whole army of widows. He's got to be stopped. Lucky us. I want to break something. You got fat. Smelly waterway. Black Widow, rated PG-13. Tickets and pre-orders available now. Experience in July 9th. All right, then. So I'm I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try to do a new thing. Um, I'm actually going to give a spoiler-free review uh, before I take a deeper dive and kind of dissect the movie in in more detail. Now, for these review podcasts, usually I've done them with uh, uh, with other hosts or by myself. Um, and the the biggest criticism I've heard is that I can't listen to your episodes because they're full of spoilers, and um, not everybody is kind of on. Um, you know, kind of the same viewing schedule. And I, uh, you know, at first I didn't quite understand, but I've talked to more and more folks that are of that like-mindedness as well. And I've, I've had folks tell me, it's like, well, I would like to hear what you have to say. Um, you know, see, you know, look at it as a challenge. See if you can talk about it spoiler free. Whereas, previously I used to just, I used to think that to discuss a movie, I would kind of have to discuss it freely and without, uh, without being tripping over myself, uh, talking about spoilers, but I think, I think I got it figured out. So I'm going to give this a try and you can let me know, uh, what you think if this works or not. So like I said, I'm going to do a very, uh, relatively brief, uh, spoiler free review. And then I will kind of do a, uh, more detailed, uh, deep dive on the other side. So black widow, I, um, I, I really liked it. Um, actually I liked it a little more than I was anticipating. Now, I I was excited uh, when this uh, when this movie was originally announced. I like the Black Widow character, and I think Scarlett Johansson is actually pretty great in the role. Um, I would have liked to have actually seen a Black Widow movie before we got a Captain Marvel movie. You know, for no other reason than Black Widow has been part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe since Iron Man 2. Uh, there there are very few characters that go further back uh, than that. And uh, so I, I thought she had definitely earned the spotlight. But in the in the year or so, I'll, I'll confess in the in the year or so that the movie was delayed, you know, due to due to the Rona, my interest cooled, you know, uh, to the point where I wondered if a Black Widow movie was even relevant. 
especially given the events of Avengers Endgame and uh, the thinking that this was a movie that was five years too late uh, and a step backward. You know, this was supposed to be the beginning of phase four, but we know it's a flashback origin movie. Um, and that that kind of feels backwards at a time when the MCU is moving forward, uh, especially in the form of the Disney Plus TV shows like WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But I got to say, finally seeing it at the theater was worth the wait. I am glad I... Uh, am, am at a spot now where I feel comfortable to go to the movies, to go to the theater. At this point, I've seen probably a half dozen movies. Uh, next week, I'm uh, going to see Snake Eyes. Um, and there's there's a couple other movies I'm, I'm watching for work as well. Oh, and and sorry, let me just uh, tangent here. Um, I don't necessarily cross the streams with my day job my work often but recently we uh we've been doing a lot more movie review related content at uh, uh for my day job so like for example uh, i i'm not going to do anything having to do with uh, f9 colon the fast saga because i already did a 45 minute podcast uh with the talk show host i work with uh for my day job so so there there will be occasional uh blind spots like that whereas we did talk about black widow on the radio show, but not necessarily in this much depth and detail. So, um, there, there will be some occasional, uh, bleed through. Um, so I'll, I'll try to tiptoe around that as, um, as best as I can. Um, but, it, but anyway, I, I, I think, uh, going to the theater was, um, was a really cool experience. Uh, I know several folks who watched it on Disney Plus and enjoyed that experience as well. Um, and, and in fact, it's kind of interesting that of the weekend gross for, for opening weekend for Black Widow, it was almost kind of half and half between a theatrical exhibition and Disney Plus downloads. So what that means for future releases like Jungle Cruise and things like that... Um, I don't know. I, 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 I still think it's a cool model. The, the Disney premiere access. Uh, it's just kind of interesting because since it's just me and my wife, it doesn't cost us 30 bucks to go to the movies. Well, actually it does, but, but I, you know, I, we're not like, say like a family of four where, you know, 30 bucks to download it or, much more than that in tickets and snacks and popcorns and whatever. I can see why that would be an economical choice for, uh, for families. And there, there's still the perspective of viewing habits. Does the ability to watch black widow on Disney premier access change our viewing habits? Like I was listening to a review podcast earlier and one of the hosts was referring to stopping it and rewinding it and, and going back through some of the scenes multiple times, which obviously I, I've not had the opportunity to do that, 
but I also got the theatrical experience. So um, I'll, I'll see if I can come back to that later because I think prior to my being comfortable and confident to go back to the movies, I did kind of had this feeling of, well, what even is a movie anymore? Where where we're getting stuff like the Tomorrow War and Infinite and whatever else um, on on streaming platforms instead of in the movies. What is a movie? Well, Black Widow is a movie. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, the action is really good. The performances are great. Well. Uh, mostly great um and there there's enough of that marvel style light humor that's part of their formula that keeps it very much on brand this is very much a marvel mcu movie uh but highlights um i again i really like the humor specifically there there are some jokes that the jokes that land land really hard and really well there there are some stinkers in there as well but um i like the humor i like the fight choreography uh this reminds me a lot of captain america the winter soldier in the best way possible it's kind of intentionally lower stakes um and it's kind of like a more grounded adventure focusing on character over spectacle uh but there's still plenty of that as well, uh, given that this is a $200 million movie. So that that statement sounds kind of silly now that I've said that out loud in terms of uh, spectacle, because it, it is it is a giant budget movie and it feels it. You, you see the money on the screen. Uh, but overall, this is a movie I had wanted for a long time, uh, long enough to realize I didn't actually need it after all. But now, having seen it, I'm glad we finally got it. So as far as ranking goes with the other MCU movies, I haven't shuffled that deck in a while. Um, but I, I'd say Black Widow kind of goes in the upper middle. Um, I'll gladly watch it again. So that being said, so that, that kind of concludes the non-spoiler review. Um, I'm, I'm going to get a little more in depth, kind of go over the plot, the cast, and maybe some Easter eggs too. So if you do want to avoid those spoilers, here is your chance to punch out. What I recommend you do is hit stop, uh, check out the show notes for, uh, the time code and just jump ahead. Um, or do like I do with, a with a podcast that has both a spoiler free and a spoiler section. Um, I just stop it, uh, until I've actually seen the movie and then, uh, come back later after you've seen it. All right. So here we go. Full spoilers in three, two, one. All right, so the movie opens in 1995, or at least that's what the what what the title card says. Uh, this is a this is a very Stranger Things looking 1995. It looks more like 1985 to me in terms of uh, just just the the texture, the fashion, the uh, little things like like the appliances, uh, TV shows, things like that. Just it it didn't. I mean, I was a teenager in 1995, and I don't remember 1995 looking like this it's it's kind of like a weird dumb thing to fixate on right 
away, but it was it was just a weird thing that I I focused on. Uh, maybe it's, I mean, maybe they were trying to lean into the the Stranger Things aesthetic because you've got a uh, you got old David Harbor in there, and it does start off with a, a de-aged, digitally de-aged uh, David Harbor as Alexi and uh, a similarly de-aged Rachel Vice as Melina, and. It, it is it is starting to get terrifying how good the the Marvel de-aging technology is getting. Uh, maybe uh, or maybe I'm just giving it too much credit uh, because maybe all they did with David Harbour is put a put a wig on him and shave his beard. But um made him look really young and uh, Rachel Weiss looked like she stepped right out of those mummy movies now. Uh, I am convinced that Rachel Weiss is actually a person that doesn't actually age. And I wonder if instead of doing a lot of uh, digital de-aging, they maybe just added some makeup to her in the present day scenes where she appears to look older because, um, uh, because yeah, yeah, she doesn't age. But anyway, they they are two uh, Russian undercover agents. They are posing as a family in Ohio with uh, their surrogate daughters uh, Natasha and Yelena. Um, basically, they ha- they have a mission to steal some Shield intel. Uh, they escape to Cuba in a in a, a daring plane chase, um, and they uh, rendezvous with uh, with their boss. Uh, General Drakov, uh, played uh, by um, by Ray Winstone, and if I don't say it now, I will forget about it. But David Winstone is the weak part of this movie. He's the villain of the piece, and you know um, it, it, it's weird where you get a notoriously Cockney uh, Ray Winstone to play. Um, uh, a Russian general doesn't quite work. Uh, the accents in this movie for like everybody, cause we know Scarlett Johansson doesn't, uh, do a Russian accent and everyone that does it gets, I mean, we, we all make fun of poor Elizabeth Olsen and her, uh, sliding scale, uh, Eastern European accent, uh, uh, as she plays Wanda Maximoff. But yeah, the, the Russian accents in here are out of control. Um, but anyway, the, um, uh, Natasha and Yelena are taken to the red room for training. And as, uh, time passes, we discover that Alexei has been imprisoned in Russia and, uh, Natasha defects to shield after bombing Drakov's Budapest office, apparently killing him and his young daughter, Antonia. So we're already kind of paying off, a couple things that have been in in Marvel MCU lore, like, you know, anytime there's conversations between Hawkeye and Black Widow, there's, the, you know, Budapest this, Budapest that. So they they kind of, you know, in in this flashback origin movie, they they find a way to uh, uh, pay that off. And I, I think that was kind of neat. And I 
I totally missed this reference until I watched on Disney Plus. I, I didn't watch Avengers again, but on Disney Plus, they have this uh, Marvel Legends series where it's like for every character that's getting a new thing, like whether a movie or a TV show, they have like like a, a seven to a seven to 10 minute vignette where they kind of catch you up on the character's history. And they're pretty good and, and pretty concise, very helpful. So I, blo- I watched the Black Widow one like a week before I saw the movie. And um, during Avengers, when... Black Widow is interrogating Loki while he's while he's in prison trying to get information from him. Um, Loki fires off all of the various uh, titular red in her ledger and makes a direct reference to Drakov's daughter. And it flew over my head when uh, when I watched it. But then when I'm watching Black Widow, um, it's like, oh, OK, so that, that that's kind of a. Uh, that's kind of a cool way to um, to pay that off. But um, then the movie kind of uh, flashes forward to um, it says here in the wiki it's 2016. So it's um, but basically it's directly after Captain America Civil War. This is the fallout of Captain America Civil War. Um, uh, Natasha Romanoff is on the run. She's a fugitive for violating the Sokovia Accords. Uh, she escapes from uh, General Ross, uh, play, played again by William Hurt, um, and flees to a safe house in Norway, um, supplied by her ally named uh, Rick Mason, who is from some of the uh, more contemporary comic books. He's kind of like a, a fixer-type uh, character. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Yelena, who is now a, a Black Widow also, uh, she kills a rogue former Black Widow, uh, but uh, comes in contact with a synthetic gas that neutralizes the Red Room's chemical mind control agent. So we're dealing with mind control here, which is which is kind of a new spoke to the wheel, because from what we've seen, Black Widow training is more uh, psychological in in nature as well as actual physical training not not so much actual mind control so you know there's something about this uh this younger breed of black widows that that makes them different uh but anyway uh yelena gets the uh the case with the antidote in it she ships it off to natasha hoping she'll send it to the avengers synthesize it and thus freeing the other black widows but but later when uh, Natasha is driving around in Norway. She uh, unknowingly drives off with uh, with the chemicals, the antidote, and Taskmaster uh, attacks her in pursuit of the formula. They fight. Uh, Natasha manages to escape a Taskmaster and realize that the vials actually came from Yelena. Uh, the two of them reunite in Budapest and Romanov learns that Drakov is still alive and that the Red Room is still active. Uh, shortly after that, they are attacked by uh, the Black Widows and Natasha and Yelena evade them and Taskmaster before uh, meeting with Mason, who supplies them with a helicopter. Now, um, I kind of I kind of blew over the 
uh, introduction of Yelena Belova, uh, played by Florence Pugh. And for me, she's the highlight of the movie. She's she's definitely the uh, uh, she steals the show, basically. Um, I I haven't seen her in a whole lot of things. Apparently, she's in that uh, uh, Midsummer that that uh, horror fans really seem to like. But um, um, but a movie that I remember her from that that uh, uh, put Florence Pugh on my radar was a, uh, a wrestling movie from from a couple years ago called uh, Fighting with My Family, where you know she's uh, she comes from a family of wrestlers and Nick Frost is in it and and it's um, oh Lena Hades in that movie too. Anyway, it's really fun. It's a it, it's a really neat movie and she's spectacular in it. Uh, Fighting with My Family. That's a um, uh, that's a fun one there, but um, like like I said, she steals the show. She has all the good jokes, and I, um, you definitely get a sense early on, especially now. Uh, again, huge spoilers. The hugest spoilers. Uh, uh, Natasha Romanoff is still super dead. You know, following the uh, climactic events of Avengers Endgame, where you know she sacrifices herself to uh, get the Soul Stone, but um, you can tell. I mean, it was pretty obvious anyway, um, even before that. You know, they're 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 very much positioning Yelena to be the new Black Widow, which is totally fine. Um, the Yelena character does come from the comics, but she's very different. She, she is a younger black widow, but has otherwise no other uh, connection to Natasha, but she was brought in. I, I think the Greg Rucka and JG Jones series where basically she's brought in as kind of the young upstart and tries to supplant Natasha as Black Widow take her place and uh, she later goes on to be um, another one of those alternate type characters in the Marvel Universe very similar to US Agent and and some of those um, uh, other types of side characters they're basically different versions of, of of the main characters but yeah I just wanted to mention that now uh, before uh, uh, before I forgot so basically they they get a they get a helicopter and they go to break Alexi out of prison. And um, David Harbour is really great in this movie as well. And it's in the in this prison sequence where I think he's the best. So basically, he's a Russian super soldier and very similar to Isaiah Bradley over in uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, you know, uh, Steve Rogers wasn't the only person that got the serum and was experimented on, but very much like Isaiah Bradley, basically once once the Russian government was done with him as Red Guardian, they just threw him in prison. But I think that David Harbour plays it pretty... Uh, I. I I enjoy his humor and he spends most of his time just entertaining himself by arm wrestling other prisoners. And there, there's one particular one where like, uh, it's a running gag and, you know, he soundedly beats folks and, 
this uh this really 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 big dude goes to arm wrestle him and it uh um it looks like he's got red guardian on the ropes he's gonna win and he's like oh no you know really just uh just playing into it it was uh it was pretty funny um i am i'm way over explaining the joke before um he snaps that dude's wrist and and you get some like uh cg ropey broken arm and stuff like that but um but anyway so so the two black widows go to break Alexi out of prison uh, because apparently Alexi knows where Drakov is. They know he knows where the red room is. And um, in, in breaking him out, he says he doesn't know, but that Melina knows uh, Rachel Weiss. Uh, she lives in a farm outside of St. Petersburg where she's developed the same chemical mind control process that is now used on the Black Widows that we saw earlier in the movie. Um, there, uh, during this sequence, you know, it's it, it's in the trailers, but basically the four of them uh, sit down for, for dinner as a family. And it, it's kind of interesting how summer of 2021 has become the summer of family <laughs> like i mean i i was going through my facebook earlier and it is rotten with all of those fast and furious family memes um i think that's over now i or at least I hope. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so you, you have the the found family trope here, which, um, you know, even though they are not a real family and it's it's revealed here during the sequence that, you know, they were they were, you know, just basically um, posing, uh, infiltrating, uh, posing as a as a family there in Ohio. But um, I, I, I think the dynamic is, is really good. And, and there's a sincerity and genuineness that, that's, um, that these four characters kind of share and, and really kind of like the dynamic, but, but, um, but, you know, Yelena reveals that while they were not a real family since she was a kid, she believed that they were and uh, confesses that that those were some of her happiest times. Um, but uh, Melina reveals that she gave them up and revealed their location to Drakov. And then the, uh, his agents, not the black widows, I guess um, his, uh, Oh, that's right. He's got a bunch of dude bodyguards that aren't Black Widows. Um, and then they go to the Red Room, which, because it's a $200 million Marvel movie, is like a giant floating space satellite orbital base thing. Because <laughs> um, why not? Because you need something to uh, explode uh, for the for the climax. Um. But uh, but from there you you get some switcheroo uh, shenanigans. Uh, basically, um, uh, Natasha and uh, Melina uh, use that that face mask technology, the Mission Impossible face mask technology that we saw in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and basically they um, they they switch clothes um, and do some wigs and and um, it, it's it's a good thing that Rachel Weiss and Scarlett Johansson are of similar 
build and look very similar. Wait a minute, that's not a case at all. It's well, it, it's it's amazing that they're the same size. I guess that they can wear the same uh, snug Black Widow outfits. But I'm uh, I, I'm not going to complain. But they th- that's basically the plan the whole time. They switch places uh, before getting uh, captured. That leaves uh, Melina in a spot where she can operate the cells so she uh, can free herself and Alexi, who is still squeezed into his uh, Red Guardian outfit, uh, which is, uh, uh, again, a pretty good visual gag. That's that's totally in the in the trailers. Um, Oh, I did. I didn't talk about. Um, you know, I talked about Florence Pugh earlier and I talked about Yelena's uh, jokes, but like the, the like the biggest joke of the movie is this vest that she has. Now, I, I was I was uh, um, I, I remember when I did my review or any conversation I've had about Avengers Affinity War and I talked about how weird it was that Black Widow has a haircut she's blonde and she has a completely different outfit. That's, that's not a black widow outfit. And it's this, um, you know, uh, vest with many, many pockets. It's revealed in this movie that it actually belonged to, uh, Yelena, the, the younger black widow character. And, and it's, it's a really neat scene too, because, you know, these, uh, the brainwashed black widows didn't, have you know uh personal effects personal time you know everything was controlled and um yelena professes very earnestly it's like well this vest is the you know first thing i bought with with my own money and it's it's super cool it's got so many pockets it's 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 a nice it's a nice um, touch and you know jumping to the end of the movie uh, she uh, she gives the vest uh, to Natasha and you know when she so more or less kind of like very similar to how uh, Solo a Star Wars story was an entire movie meant to explain those dumb dice in the Millennium Falcon that you see at the end of Star Wars The Last Jedi and maybe in a blurry single frame of star Wars, a new hope I'm over explaining this. Uh, but anyway, it's, it, 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 you know, it was a spinoff movie that was basically dice the movie. This does that better in that I, I was a dummy and I didn't piece together until, uh, black widow, uh, Natasha shows up at the end of the movie, wearing the vest with the blonde hair, looking as she did in a infinity war that I was like, Oh, right. That's right. This whole movie was, more or less an elaborate setup to explain why she has that outfit. Very silly. Um, so anyway, so, uh, so Natasha is brought before Drakov who immediately sees through her disguise. Um, also at the same time, we get the reveal of who Taskmaster actually is. It is uh, to the surprise of some, but not all, that uh, Taskmaster is not a dude at all. It's actually Drakov's daughter, Antonia, who um, is horribly scarred and is mute and suffered um, uh, nerve damage enough to where Drakov had to put 
a microchip uh, at the in the back of her neck, and I don't understand how that how that helps nerve damage, but but whatever. But basically, this, um, so. Taskmaster, the the character from the comics, I guess let's talk about Taskmaster for a few. So Taskmaster is, you know, a popular character from uh, the comics, uh, kind of a uh, mercenary of sorts, but not in the Deadpool kind of way. He's more of like a, you know, a contractor and has like mercenary schools and, and, and things of things of that nature, but has the, uh, photographic reflexes. And that's basically his natural superpower is like, you know, he can watch somebody fight and then, uh, mimic their, um, movements. Now, seeing as how it is the MCU, they, you know, make it technology, which I think is fine. I mean, cause I mean, you know, I, I think the Marvel movies have done pretty well about, kind of making magic technological for, for lack of better term. Um, recent movies that have gotten more cosmic have kind of, kind of sort of abandoned that where like magic is just straight up real now in these, in these Marvel movies, but it wasn't always that way. So this, this, this does feel like a callback to some of those earlier movies, like whereas even like as far back as Thor, it's like, oh no, they're not, they're not Norse gods. They're, they're space aliens with superior technology and saying like, you know, if a technology is so advanced, it may as well be magic. I, I kind of, I kind of like that, but, uh, but anyway, so, so Taskmaster is a very different character in the comics than they are here in this movie. Um, it's I, I've heard fans be disappointed. I'm not the hugest fan of Taskmaster, so I don't have as much skin in the game, but I can understand where folks are coming from. Folks have compared it to uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, where they basically made Deadpool mute where, you know, you take like the one defining trait of the character and take it away from them for the movie. Um, for me, at least taskmaster looks enough like taskmaster and you know throwing around a mighty shield and and shooting arrows and wielding swords and whatnot so i mean i think it's fine um i think in this movie it would have been a disservice if the if it was the taskmaster of the comics that was you know it's basically deadpool uh he's he's kind of a motor mouth um and i just don't, i don't think that has a place in this movie now could you use a different character maybe but i i don't know like in a lot of these latter day marvels i i like seeing deep cuts characters and and again i think the costume looked really cool now we got to talk about the reveal though because I, like many of you, I I thought that the reveal of Taskmaster was that it was going to be Rachel Weisz the whole time, and it's not. And I, w- I was listening to uh, Fat Man Beyond with Kevin Smith, and he was he was so disappointed to where he thought Kevin Smith did that they had actually changed the ending. And uh, did the Drakov's daughter stuff uh, to to throw off fans, you know, kind of similar to maybe like a like a Mandarin style twist. But um, 
if you do that, then the family stuff doesn't work. And I, I think it's better uh, that uh, that it's not Rachel Vice after all, because like if if a dummy head like me can say, oh, hey, I think this is, you know, when, when you start trying to like call what the big twist is, um, I don't know. It just kind of reminds me of the backlash to WandaVision a little bit where, you know, Mephisto never showed up. Uh, Reed Richard wasn't the astrophysicist, that kind of thing. I think when people get so uh, hung up on their own fan theories where it doesn't happen, they they get disappointed. And I think there's some of that with uh, with the Taskmaster uh, reveal here. But for me, with the con through the context of the movie, I'm. I'm kind of cool with it. I I'm fine with it. Um, but anyway, so, so, um, Natasha tries to kill Drakov, but, uh, fails to hurt him because he has something called a pheromone lock installed in every black widow. And that's, that's goofy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fine, but it, it's, it's some real RoboCop directive Four stuff. And, um, it's it's just plot convenience you so so if i understand this correctly so it's a pheromone lock you know you can like you know smell the pheromone so it's like ew you smell ray winstone and that that makes it to where you can't kill him sure fine whatever but um what about distance attacks you know um go to the other side of the room where you can't smell him and just put two through his head i don't know um I, I thought that that was kind of like a weak uh, plot contrivance. I don't, you know, I mean, it's fine. It's whatever. But it's one of those things where, like, if you think about it for too long, it starts to fall apart. Um, But basically, and, and again, this is, you know, some of these movies have third act problems. And this one isn't a different um it just starts getting real goofy where where Drakov reveals that he controls the Black Widows worldwide through a desk console that he logs in with a with a signet ring um, that he just kind of like swipes across the the panel to log in. Um, and and that's super goofy. But then um, uh, Natasha gives a speech about, you know, how um with uh oh, what what is it they oh they get into a fight and and he's punching her around and and she's kind of speechifying at him and more or less taunting him to um you know you gotta you gotta sever the nerve in the in the nasal passage to negate the pheromones so to to do it herself she slams her face against the the um console and breaks her nose um which does look pretty gruesome um i i do like later on um so she's running around with like a broken nose prosthetic for i don't know maybe 10 minutes worth of movie time but there there's there's a scene where scarlett johansson just kind of like snaps the her nose back into place and then that's the end of that <laughs> you know no bruising no anything and it's like i don't i'm pretty sure that's not how broken noses work especially if you're severing nerves in in your nasal passage but uh whatever um so there's a there's a big fight with uh um with a taskmaster versus uh red guardian um that's a that's a lot of fun 
And and again, I mentioned the fight choreography earlier. And one of the things I specifically liked with the Taskmaster stuff is that it gives you an opportunity to call back to other uh, fighting styles that we've seen. Um, so you, you get you get some Black Panther, you get some Black Widow, you get some Captain America, but you also get some Winter Soldier. And for me, I like I like that close quarters combat. And you do get what I think is one of my favoriteest things in all of these these dumb Marvel movies is you get that that Winter Soldier knife flip thing where um, you know I've also heard it called the the Arya Stark but I I don't watch Game of Thrones so I don't quite get that reference but it's you know it's the whole you know uh tossing a knife in the air and switching hands and there's lots of exciting slashing and it and it and it's um it's super cool but basically there there's a big fight and we're uh fighting goons blowing up engines uh freeing black widows and um yeah the I, I don't know. It get it gets all very, very uh, goofy third act uh, stuff from there. Um, one one of the other uh, running jokes is uh, uh, Yelena uh, Florence Pugh um, finds herself in several situations where it'd be like he, she has a had a gauge of like oh th- this would be a cool way to die or this would be a lame way to die and so. She has this big send off where, you know, she um, blows up uh, Drakov's plane. So Ray Winstone gets killed off along with his all of his dude guards and she gets blown off the side of the um, Red Room satellite thing, seemingly to her doom. But no, uh, Natasha jumps after her and saves her. But then as the thing is exploding and falling down, this is all in the trailer. But then like, you know, Taskmaster gets free and uh, Taskmaster and Black Widow fight on like some solar panels. And it's it's all very exciting. And it you know, it's it's the type of goofy that you want, right? You know, it's like, you know, it does. And again, it looks awesome on a big screen. So, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the broken satellite finally crashes down to the earth and in pieces, everybody that's in parachute survives. Everybody's okay. Um, Natasha gets some of the antidote and uh, sprays it on Taskmaster after removing the Darth Vader helmet. And so she's freed Um, and the Black Widows arrive in their spaceship and everybody gets a, a super happy ending. And basically she tells everybody to run off as uh, General Ross and his folks uh, come to apprehend uh, Black Widow. They've, they've caught up with her. Um, I, I do like that everybody's okay. And Rachel Weiss has this, uh, has this throwaway line. She's like, I'm clearly injured. <laughs> so I thought that was, I thought that was uh, uh, pretty funny, but um, so, yeah, so that's, that's almost the end of the movie. Um, it, uh, it flashes forward to two weeks later and now, 
Um, uh, Natasha shows up, Black Widow, with uh, she reunites with Mason and gives her a stolen Avengers Quinjet. Uh, she's now rocking the Infinity War look with the with the blonde hair and the and Yelena's vest with all the pockets, and she goes off to uh, free the imprisoned Avengers. And I haven't watched Civil War for a while. I kind of don't remember how it ends. And so I don't remember how much of a, a dangling plot point that was about how folks got broken free. In fact, it was kind of funny. I couldn't even remember who all was locked up. Um, maybe a Hawkeye, maybe a Falcon. Um, outside of that, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, did Captain America actually get captured at the end of that? I, I don't remember. But but the implication is that Black Widow is going to go off and free the Avengers and then they will be on the run for two years. Um, and then the events of the uh, of the Infinity War happen. So um, anyway, so so that's the end of the movie. There, uh, there is a post-credit scene, and it is all the way at the end. You gotta, um, yeah, you gotta wait through all of the credits. But if you're watching on Disney Plus, you can just fast forward to it. Uh, but the, um, the post-credit scene is set after Endgame. It's unclear how long after, but, uh, but Natasha is definitely dead, and it's, uh, it's. Yelena and she is visiting her grave and then uh Julia Louis Dreyfus shows up as uh Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine um <laughs> real character from the comics uh, uh very much a, a spy master very similar to Nick Fury which is I think what they're setting up setting her up to be uh kind of going forward in the Marvel universe but basically she says, hey, look, um, you've done missions for me. I have your new mission. Uh, hands her a envelope, says this is your mission. Yelena says, no, this is an envelope. No, that that sorry, that was the M&M's commercial, my mistake. Uh, but no, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a photo of Hawkeye. And she says, well, this is the person that's responsible for uh, Natasha's death presumably setting up the upcoming Hawkeye TV series. So a couple things there. One, because of the production delays, this Black Widow was actually supposed to be the first appearance of this uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus character. Instead, we see her first in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So we've seen it out of order. Um Unless, and I, I haven't been able to corroborate this, unless they added the scene after that. I don't really know what the uh, what the sequencing was, but I just assumed that this was supposed to have been her debut because this movie was supposed to come out first, and that seeing her in Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to have been the second appearance. So it doesn't really make that much difference because it's kind of like six of one, half a dozen of the other. But, um, I remember, I don't know, well over a year ago when, when they were talking about the Hawkeye show and they were saying that Florence Pugh was going to be in it. So it's like, Oh, well, so she's going to be okay. And so that leads credence even more that this, this movie kind of has dual purposes. One, it is a 
um, good send off for Scarlett Johansson, though I'm sure, you know, they, they could tell other flashback stories or other types of thing. I mean, nobody's ever really gone. Right. But it, it really is. It's also a handoff movie. It's weird. It's a flashback origin. That's also a handoff. So it's a uh, um, try, try square in that circle. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I mean, like I said before, it's, I, I really enjoyed it. I think Florence Pugh is great. I think it's a great send off for uh, Scarlett Johansson. I really enjoyed uh, David Harbour. Um, it would be interesting to see his character again. And um, despite all of the explosions and stuff, I do think it's kind of like the that Winter Soldier level of stakes where it's like, I mean, the, the stakes are high enough. There's enough to where, you know, somewhere along the way you kind of get you kind of forget that black widow is dead you know in in the in the post end game so but you you just kind of you you're along on this adventure and it doesn't have any more or less stakes than any other marvel movie which which is one of the criticisms but still it's you know I, I got what I wanted out of it. And again, like I said in my non-spoiler review, it's the it's the movie that I I didn't really need, but I'm glad I have. So um there there was there was one other piece, and I, I forgot to go over this earlier, but I came across this article in uh uh Collider that that kind of crinkled up my nose. You probably saw me share it on Facebook, but um, headline, how Black Widow's WandaVision moment completely drops the ball. It was poor character development all along. So um, there is um, a scene in Black Widow when she's hiding out in Norway where she's 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 just kind of trying to live her life, you know, going to, um, you know, going to the store and hanging out in a in a trailer by herself and there there is one sequence where she's shown watching a movie and that movie actually ends up being moonraker the uh um the roger moore james bond movie and it is one of the goofier ones it's the one that people make fun of but um let me let me read some of this article to you um in wandavision uh wanda maximoff processes her trauma through pop culture forcing an entire town to exist in a hyper-controlled sitcom version of life where every ending is a happy one her reason for using sitcoms as a kind of forced escape question mark in episode eight of the miniseries we find out that there's a love of television young wanda and her family would watch bootleg dvds of classic american sitcoms um as they as they tried to escape their traumatic lives in war-torn sokovia they brought her comfort during the worst of time showing an appealing alternate reality far far away from the miseries that made up her life this makes sense for wanda to return to this form in her last ditch desperate attempt at forced comfort the metatextual sitcom forms honor her character i don't know what that sentence means Black Widow, on the other hand, is uh, co-written by one of the creators of 
WandaVision, and there's a similar moment of escapism for its hero. And while this moment bears little influence on the rest of the film's glow-trotting spy thriller plot, it attempts to reveal something new, endearing, and profound about its character. Unfortunately, the choice of media drops the ball completely, revealing a lack of understanding as to why Wanda's particular pop culture loves tracked so well for her character and failing the character of Natasha. Good lord, this is tedious. On paper, being a super spy assassin Avenger seems like it might be fun. Black Black Widow wants to remind us that in practice, it's anything but. Uprooting any sense of peace for episodes of violence, becoming brainwashed by corrupt government forces as a child, watching your newly found family erode into a titular civil war. These are just some of the traumas collected by Natasha, a series of festering scabs she's trying to find any sense of healing from. She needs to make stillness wherever she can get it, and in one sequence we watch her routine. In her isolated trailer in the middle of nowhere, Natasha pulls out her laptop and watches a piece of pop culture that comforts her. She's watched this piece of pop culture so much that she says the dialogue as it happens, a genuine smile crossing her face. This piece of pop culture is Moonraker, a 1979 spy film starring Roger Moore as James Bond. Like every other Bond film, it's full of heightened adventure, melodramatic supervillains, explosive technology, and somewhat morally corrupt hero at the center. It is, in other words, a fictional depiction of Natasha's everyday life since she was a child, a life, again, full of trauma and misery and betrayal and abuse. Why on earth, for her brief moment of pop culture escape, would this traumatized super spy watch a film about a traumatized super spy? Does anyone in the MCU know who Natasha is? Does anyone care? Am I being dramatic? Moore's Bond films are notoriously silly, the apex of the franchise's relationship with out-and-out camp. And of these Moore films, Moonraker just might be the silliest, the least tethered to any kind of emotional reality. It sent a beloved action hero into space long before the family did. It turns the realities of being a globe-trotting spy and assassin into a literal farce. I'm going to stop reading because basically what this article and the article goes on that that was maybe a third of it. Um, just making the case that they're trying to have this WandaVision moment and that it um, ends up failing the Natasha character. And I think that's a way too self-serious of a take. I thought the scene was great and I would think Well, no, I I think it works. I would think that if you are a super spy yourself and are watching a movie about a super spy, you are going to watch the goofiest one possible. It makes sense that she's watching Moonraker because it is so far and away from what she actually does as Black Widow. Now, if she was watching, say, like one of the Daniel Craig ones, I don't think it would work because you need a goofy Roger Moore one. Um, Now, putting that aside for a sec, there's also kind of like an extra level of meta texture to it because the end of the movie is basically Moonraker, what with the floating city base and all that. So so it's kind of like a weird callback, call forward uh, foreshadowing type of thing. But 
but I, I digress. It's, but it just, the, the, the whole reason why I'm sharing it with you is because that it just really kind of tweaked my melon. It, uh, um, I didn't, I don't appreciate the perspective that because you do something for a living that you can't enjoy fiction about your job. This article is absurd. And by that author's rationale, I shouldn't want to watch Frasier reruns because of what I do for a living. And you know what? Sometimes it's okay to just like a movie. I thought the, I thought the moment was pretty funny. So anyway, so that's, that's, that's my lengthy, shockingly lengthy um uh review of black widow let me know what uh what if you saw it what you thought did you watch it in the theater did you see it on the plus with that with that premium access and what do you think of that that hybrid streaming model uh i can go to a theater but i can also download it at home i'd i'd be curious to hear uh what you think and and i guess let me know what other uh films and other movies you'd like to hear me review on a future episode you can hit me up on social media i am at mike cybert radio on twitter facebook and instagram join us for the following previews all right. So before I get out of here, I um, I had mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about, I, I guess, what is going to end up being like the whole next month's slate worth of shows, because I'm I'm actually a little bit of ahead uh, planning wise. Gasp. Don't tell anybody. But um, uh, mild spoilers for the way I put together the shows. Usually it's week by week. It'd be like, oh, hey, this is who I'm interviewing. Cool. Uh, and I think sometimes that's that's why you don't see as much forward promotion. But uh, but enough uh, inside baseball and a look behind the curtain. I did want to talk about uh, a few things coming up as we get into August and our uh, celebration of the 35th anniversary of Transformers the movie um, coming up. I've got an interview with Greg and Yoshi. I mentioned them earlier. Greg, obviously, from Unfunny Nerd Tangent and Yoshi from the Transmissions podcast. They um, they do a project called Transformers Reanimated. It's a fan fiction project where basically they uh, pick up the, the stories in between season two of the Transformers cartoon and filling in that 20-year gap between the end of the cartoon and uh, Transformers the movie they uh their august is their celebration of two years of doing transformers reanimated there are 24 uh issues uh available in uh, in the form of scripts uh as well as with uh comic book style uh covers and some interior art as well uh done by uh some really cool uh transformers artists both official idw artists as well as uh fan artists as well it's a it's a cool project i've i've been um a part of it in in one way or the other kind of since the beginning you know i um 
I, I'm, I'm a friend of the project. I've had the guys on my show before, and I participate in their script reading podcasts where, where I try my hand at some really lame voice acting, but really it's just, it's just an excuse for us to get together on a podcast and do a round table script reading. Uh, those podcasts are a lot of fun. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so I, I, I've got an interview coming up with those two guys and we're going to reflect on two years of Transformers reanimated, kind of revisit how the project started, how it's going and where it's going. Um, and maybe a tease for some of the things coming up in the future. And I do want to let you know, actually, that the uh, brand new issue of Transformers Reanimated just dropped very recently. It's issue number 24. It's a the first of a two-part story called Piranacon, and it features a cover uh, by my dude Ryan Jett from the Autopod Decepticast. In fact, actually, I think I have a promo for that. Uh, check it out. Transformers Reanimated Issue 24, Piranicon, Part 1. With the key to unleashing an ancient, unstable power known as Piranicon, Starscream plans to rule not only the Decepticons, but Cybertron and the galaxy. Can the small Autobot team of Sea Spray and Blaster, along with their human allies, be enough to stop the power-hungry Seeker? Or will Starscream's thirst for all-out control change the universe as we know it forever? Find out in this brand new aquatic G1 adventure, Piranicon, Part 1. Available now for free at TransformersReanimated.com. Cover art by Ryan Jett. And you can check out all of that, uh, again, uh, 24 issues worth of comic book scripts uh, filling in the gaps between season two and the movie at TransformersReanimated.com. You can also check out audio podcasts of uh, script readings uh, that get increasingly rowdy and are and are um, a lot of fun. Let's just say that uh, some of our acting choices kind of kind of take some of the uh, text for a good long walk. I uh, I I occasionally play Bumblebee and and a few other characters and it's a it it is a ton of fun. Um, so if uh, if you're in the mood for uh, Transformers fan fiction set in the world of the uh, Generation One cartoon, um, you know, kind of like get a little season two point five action, then uh, yeah, definitely check out uh, TransformersReanimated.com and check out my interview uh, with uh, with Greg and Yoshi, and we will definitely talk about Transformers the movie in there. Um, also. Uh, later in August, I'll be having a conversation with good friend of the show, David Cabal. Uh, this is one of my like uh, most teased episodes. This is one I've been wanting to do for a really long time, and we just haven't been able to uh, get our schedules to align. But uh, David Cabal, a uh, retro Cabal, as he's known out on Twitter, he's a he's he's a '90s kid that eighty that's '80s through and through, and he loves transformers the movie and he's been on my show before we've talked about gi joe um but 
we we haven't had the opportunity to formally sit down and discuss um, his memories of Transformers the movie. So I'm really excited to finally get that on the books as well. And then later I will be I, I'm still in the process of solidifying it. So I don't have a date, but I am in the process of booking an interview with Vince DiCola, the uh, composer, music composer uh, for Transformers the movie rocky four and tons of other things he has a uh, brand new solo album out uh called only time will tell and i i'm interested to talk to him about it because it feels like it's kind of a covid project where he does a lot of different instrumentation aside from synthesizer and he has a variety of guest vocalists including uh stan bush and the the guy from journey whose name currently escapes me uh but it's a it's it's an interesting album. And I, I remember when I spoke to Chris Sicard a few weeks ago and I talked about his new music being uh, unique and interesting. And he called me on the carpet and he said, usually when folks say unique and interesting there, it's a polite way of saying that it's awful. I don't think Vince DiCola's new album is awful, but I do think it is unique and interesting and very experimental and it's not everybody's taste. It is a bit of a challenge, but I am very interested uh, to pick his brain and talk about the process of that. I, I think that'll be a lot of fun. And then uh, speaking of projects that have been uh, gestating uh, for a good long while, I am going to have a conversation with Michael Andrews. Uh, he is going to be a guest on the show, and we are going to talk about his dual novels, uh, the Coming of Mage saga, um, Coming of Mage, and now the uh, long-awaited sequel, a war for the mages and we've uh we've been teasing that one out for a really really long time um and i i think it's a conversation that's that's way long overdue um It'll be very interesting to talk to uh, the challenges that he's faced as a independent author. There's uh, there's tons of stories and not all of them are pleasant. Uh, the road to getting uh, coming of mage out there and now getting it out in in a new form. Um, as well as, uh, him finishing up the sequel and getting that out there as well. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, cause I, I've posted about it, um, on my socials, but the, the new cover for coming of mage and the, uh, cover for a war for the mages, uh, was done by Aaron from Autopod Decepticast. And it's, um, I, I, I gotta get Michael, uh, Michael Andrews on, and maybe I'll ask Aaron about this as well. Um, it, it's hard for me to describe what the covers are because it has kind of like this retro, cool, um, uh, eighties, seventies, almost kind of like, um, Atari game cartridge style art, but, but not exactly that. It also kind of has like an old, um, 
uh, paperback novel uh, type texture to it as well. It, it's it's really cool imagery, and I really really enjoy what uh, Aaron did with it. Even though I'm not able to describe it very well, but uh, but still. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation with uh, with Michael Andrews, I don't know, maybe a year, year and a half ago. I think it was during quarantine. Um, but anyway, it, it's it, it's going to be cool at long last to talk about his oeuvre of uh, of novels that he's got out there. And we might uh, we might reveal something that is uh, an upcoming project that is, um, well, let's just say it might be too furious uh but uh but more on that in uh the coming weeks and speaking of aaron from autopod decepticast i am actually going to be a guest with those guys uh him ryan and caleb and we are going to be talking about a little episode from season two of the transformers called autobop uh aka blaster v soundwave dawn of justice um so that's a that's that's an episode that has some resonance uh, for me. I'm really excited to talk about it, and we're really gonna kind of get into why Soundwave is, uh, quite frankly, a more popular character than Blaster is. So that this is one of the few times where they fight. You would think that they would be positioned as rivals and they really kind of aren't. Um, so I'm eager to kind of explore that conversation uh, with the guys. But also, um, Greg will be joining us as well. You know, Greg from Unfunny Nerd Tangent, because he has um, an affinity for tracks. It's a it's a tracks episode. It's a sound wave episode. And I I'm going to. I, I don't know when the episode is going to come out. I would imagine with their release calendar, it'll probably end up being late August. Um, but I would not be surprised with as rowdy as we get. I mean, shoot, there's going to be five of us, five white guys, some of us with beards uh, talking about uh, Generation One Transformers. I am sure that is going to end up being a two part episode. I just kind of feel it in my bones. But I'm uh, I'm really excited to kick it with those guys. It's always a fun time it's been way too long since uh since i've been on uh autopod decepticast i think the last time i was on we talked about auto berserk with uh with paranoid red alert um so that's that's going to be a lot of fun so i will post about that uh as a uh, as that gets closer and so finally, I, I did want to touch on um, a couple things completely unrelated to uh, the Transformers. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked to independent artist Chris Sicard. We had a great conversation about the Seattle music scene, and we also talked about his upcoming album called Critter. Uh, go back, check out last couple episodes. There are samples of the songs up there, and it was just a really fun interview, but I do want to remind you that that album album is coming out on August 6th, which is his daughter's due date. Um, but I've also seen that he's uh, recently posted it up on Bandcamp and it it it's the completed album. So it has the track listing in the track order. I think you can listen to all the songs on Bandcamp, but don't quote me. I listen on Spotify, so I'm not specifically sure. But Bandcamp is the place you want to go to buy the album. And, you know, like like I was saying earlier when I was talking about the new logos and banners and um, 
uh, cover art that Andy did for me for uh, for the podcast. You know, it's this theme of paying the artists. And I, I reposted something uh, recently on Instagram from an independent artist, and I think this kind of sums it up. Uh, when you buy a piece of art, you're not only acquiring a handmade thing, you are supporting the hand that made it. And uh, Chris responded to that and said, same goes for music. And he is absolutely right. I think anymore, a lot of us look at music as a commodity, um, not necessarily as a art that we we buy so and yeah so you can you can listen to most of the songs from chris sicard solo album critter uh, on spotify and a lot of other streamers but i would encourage you come august 6th stop by Bandcamp and purchase a copy as well um and uh lastly and th- this came across my radar very late i i was already starting to write my notes and record but but i happened to uh look at facebook and a very dear friend of the show michael geisler who um is the mastermind behind the theme music both at the beginning and end of the show uh through his uh project called bytor um he uh um he just posted on facebook uh right before i was recording uh saying during quarantine i decided to record mix and master two albums worth of songs I'm excited to let you all know you can now listen on Apple Music and Spotify Music On World Off. So I uh, it seemed like it was kind of quiet on the Bytor front. Um, so much like a lot of us, he's been busy during uh, quarantine. So I, I'm really excited to uh, check out new music uh, from Bytor, uh, from uh, from Michael Geisler. He has uh, two new albums. It's a it's a dual dual albums called Heroes to Avalon and New World Terror. Um, and again, you can check those out out on Apple Music and Spotify and check out his website, bytormusic.com. And well, now that he's got new music out, I sh- what do you think? I-, I should probably reach out to Michael and have him back on the show to talk about all the exciting stuff that's going on in his life. Like he- he's he's engaged. He's got a cool life going on in a in the in the Albuquerque's and he uh, he seems to be doing pretty well for himself. And it has been way too long since uh, since I've um, talked to him Um Always, always a huge supporter of the stuff that I'm doing, and I am, uh, I am always glad and grateful to return the favor. And that will wrap things up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for hanging around and for listening and for voting in that poll. You and the the uh, fourteen other folks that that said, "Sure, I'd like a Black Widow review from uh, from Mike Cybert Radio." And if you want to listen to all of my past shows, you can subscribe on Apple. Podcast, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever the heck else you listen to your podcasts. And you could check out the full show archive out on SoundCloud. 
five years and over 300 episodes worth of shows there. And join us for the Mike Seibert Radio podcast live stream that is going to be streaming on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook Live. Like, share, rate, and review the show. Let us know what you'd like and what you'd like to hear more of in the future. For Mike Seibert Radio, my name is Mike. And until next time, pay artists for their art and make good choices. You've been listening to the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at Mike Seibert Radio. Email us at MikeSeibertRadio at gmail.com. The spelling on that, of course, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T. Call into the voicemail hotline at 231-224-MIKE. Once again, that's 231-224-6453. Special thanks to Michael Geisler for our theme music. For more like it, check out ByDoorMusic.com. This has been a Mike Seibert Radio Production.